Hello everyone, I'm Jacob Kaufman and welcome to episode 16 of Rolling Release, Nerd in the Street's weekly podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. Richard was unable to join us this week, as was anyone else from Nerd in the Street, so I decided to go ahead and give a solo episode a try, just gonna see how it goes with just me talking through the news this week. Kicking off our first story this week, Ubuntu developers are still working on apt, even though snaps are under development, they are still working on regular old repository technology, uh, and this is what you use every day if you're on Ubuntu to update your packages, install new programs, you know, you're using apt, uh, you're using Ubuntu PPAs. This was a story a couple of weeks ago that I actually missed, it was just actually last week, it was supposed to be in the show, but it wasn't. So I'm just going to talk about it right now. Ubuntu developers are currently talking about whether or not to enable compressed apt index files for Ubuntu 18.04. So Ubuntu 18.04 is not this upcoming release, but it'll be the next one and it will be a long-term support release, which means any changes made before Ubuntu 18.04 are locked in for two years. Apt index files are currently uncompressed text files and you wouldn't think those would be too large, uh, but the writer of this blog, OMG Ubuntu, they actually say that their apt folder is 158 megabytes. Now that's not a whole lot of space to actually take up on a hard drive, you know, it's not that big of a deal sitting around on your hard drive, just 158 megabytes. This article kind of focuses on fixed storage, how much space it does take up on your hard drive, but when I think about this, you know, 158 megabytes, that takes a couple seconds to download. Uh, perhaps if I am updating my system or just updating my repositories, downloading compressed files might be a little quicker than downloading the plain files. So yeah, even though snaps are all the rage these days, Ubuntu is still working on its actual repository, actual package manager. So, um... Keep an eye on that if you use Ubuntu. Our next story is another one from last week that we forgot to cover. Uh, Manjaro Linux now has its own laptop. This is becoming a trend. Uh, KDE is a, it's not a distribution, but KDE Neon is a Linux distribution and it has its own Linux laptop. Now Manjaro has one as well. Ubuntu Budgie got one just a couple weeks ago, so kind of becoming a trend for distros to have their own laptops. Now you might think with all of these distro-specific laptops going around, it might just be some kind of business deal not actually optimized for the software. However, this Linux laptop company, Station X, says that this partnership goes, quote, way beyond a simple preload. They call the deal the ultimate marriage of software and hardware, and while that is probably an overstatement, Manjaro has created a new spin of its XFCE-based distro that is fully tuned to the hardware of this laptop, which is called Spitfire, by the way. Not sure how I feel about that name. But the custom spin for the laptop does include kernel tweaks, streamlined settings, not sure what that means. It does also include custom changes to battery, CPU, and sound settings. Basically, the Manjaro developers have made sure that their distro works really, really well on this machine. And the machine's not half bad either. It is an all-aluminum chassis. It's got a laser-etched Manjaro logo on the lid, a 13.3-inch 1080p IPS display, so pretty nice display. And it does have a Manjaro super key on the backlit keyboard. You can get some i5 and i7 processors in this thing, although they're kind of low-end i7 processors. They are mobile variants. And then you can get up to 32 gigs of RAM, and it does come with Intel HD graphics, no dedicated graphics. Now it's interesting to note, uh, just looking at the picture for this thing, I kind of see a faint line on the top of the lid. I'm wondering if this laptop is based on the same Clevo model that System76 is... Galago Pro laptop is based on. So if you're in the market for a new laptop and you use Manjaro or want to start using Manjaro, there's an option for you. Next up, we've got Ubuntu Dock now has transparency. 
dynamic transparency that is. So previously, in the currently under development Ubuntu 17.10, the sidebar dock that they have added to kind of mimic Unity, it has had a dark gray background and it was partially transparent, but the transparency of that dock did not match the transparency of GNOME's top bar with this theme. So given that Ubuntu is developing the theme for the top bar and the dock, it only makes sense that they match, so that's what's happening now. Ubuntu has made the two match, that's what the story's all about. It is interesting to note, I actually don't like the idea of these being transparent at all, I would prefer them not to be transparent. Uh, when you do have a window move close to them though, the top bar does turn opaque and then the dock does turn mostly mostly opaque, not nearly as transparent when a window is near it. So that's going to look a lot more like Unity, when you have actually got windows near them or a window maximized. It is important to note whether you like this change or not, the dynamic transparency effect cannot be turned off, it's not a setting. Uh, that's a shame. You'd think you might as well make it a setting, but of course these are GNOME folks. Perhaps the tweak tool or something will pick up the slack here. Now if you do want more customizability over your dock in particular, you can also always uninstall the Ubuntu dock and install the regular old dash to dock. It's got more options on it as well. If you're a gamer, this next one might be for you. Sony's PlayStation 4 DualShock controller is now supported in Fedora, Linux, and GNOME, and I'm assuming that the changes made to support it will propagate to other distros and desktop environments as well. This development started as an improvement to the PlayStation 3 controller pairing system. In the past, it was kind of complicated to pair a PlayStation 3 controller, and it was kind of impossible to charge a controller with a computer without pairing it. However, GNOME developer Bastion Nocera has pushed some patches to the Bluetooth stack on the latest Fedora Linux release. And with the new changes, you can simply open up the Bluetooth panel in GNOME settings, plug in your controller, whether it's a DualShock 3 or a DualShock 4, and click Allow if you do want to pair the two devices. If you do not want to pair your controller with your computer, you can just plug it in and not open up the Bluetooth control panel. And if you do happen to accidentally open the panel up, just don't click Allow. So that's very nice. Xbox 360 controllers have always worked flawlessly under Linux. I don't think we've got wireless Xbox One controllers working under Linux yet, but if you do like Sony's layout for their game controllers, then you can now use the DualShock 4 with very minimal setup. And I do have Bastion's blog post as well. That will be in the show notes, so check out the link in the description if you want to read about that. Next up, Pipewire. We talked about this a while ago. It was Pulse Audio for video. We talked about this in a previous show. So Pulse Audio is a Linux application that basically makes it super easy to manage all of your sound devices. Without Pulse Audio, it's very difficult to have multiple applications using the same speakers at the same time or the same microphone at the same time. And for speakers especially, that can be a big pain. You know, I might have a YouTube video playing in one window and I want to play some music in another window. I don't want to have to worry about Firefox and a music player conflicting when I'm trying to play audio. So Pulse Audio manages all of your audio devices. We called this Pulse Video before, it has gotten a new name, Pipewire, that is the official name, Pulse Audio is just the development name. It is a GNOME project, I'm not sure if I realized that last time that we covered this, but this does come from GNOME. Hopefully the benefits from it once again will propagate to other desktops, but that's up to both GNOME and other desktops. The fact that GNOME is backing it though does mean that they are focusing on supporting Wayland and Flatpak. More on that in just a moment, but I also learned in this new article that Pipewire is not just going to be for video, it is Pulse Audio for video and audio. It is going to be able to replace Pulse Audio, if I'm reading this correctly, as well as Jack. And that is great because Linux has two sound stacks right now that you can really use. Pulse Audio is the 
consumer level quote unquote one that is actually easy to use and then jack is what you have to use for professional audio applications the only problem with jack is that it's just about impossible to configure it correctly so if we could get something that is as powerful as jack but as easy to use as pulse audio that would make me really happy and not only are they trying to do that, but they're also trying to provide that same level of powerful handling for video input and output as well. Being able to use the same webcam in several applications would solve a lot of problems for me. I don't know about you. In addition to all of that, Pipewire is also going to allow screen capture and recording and screen shots in Wayland. We talked about this relatively recently, how it's kind of impossible to take a screenshot or capture your desktop with Wayland by default, but Gnome was already working on some other projects to make that easier. Now we've got this one. Really it all comes down to what the end user applications implement. If OBS can implement Pipewire, that would be great. And Pipewire does have its own website, pipewire.org, if you do want to read all about that. You can also get it already on Fedora 27, and they should have some packages available for other distros soon. And while we're on GNOME, we should also talk about Purism's Linux phone that we talked about last week. Now, last week, it was a big deal that Purism and KDE partnered up to basically commit to making a Plasma mobile operating system for the Purism 5 phone, the Librem 5 phone. Of course, GNOME saw that KDE was actually having a good time with something and decided that it had to step in and, you know, put its mark all over it too, because GNOME can't leave anything else alone. Now, unlike last week, which we had quotes from both Purism and KDE, because that was a two-way partnership, all of the quotes in this article are from the GNOME Foundation. This is really just literally GNOME saying, oh, me too, me too, I'm going to be on a phone too. But the GNOME Foundation has basically committed to making GNOME run on the phone if the Purism Libre. 5 does get funded. Now taking a look at Gnome's actual announcement here, I do see a quote from the Purism CEO, Todd Weaver. So this is a two-way partnership as well, or a two-way commitment. OMG Ubuntu says that Gnome is going to be the default environment on the handset. I don't actually see that anywhere else. We'll have to wait and see about that. But Gnome says that they are interested in advancing Gnome slash GTK as a phone platform. They are committed to partnering with Purism to create Hackfests, tools, emulators, and build awareness that surround moving GNOME to a phone. So basically, KDE already has a mostly functional phone operating system, and this is GNOME saying that if this phone gets funded, they're committing to building a phone operating system. A little bit different, but GNOME does say they will enhance GNOME shell and the general performance of the system with Purism to enable features on the Librem 5. So basically saying, hey, Purism, if you're going to make this phone, we will work with you. I am definitely still going to use KDE if I get that phone. Speaking of which, the crowdfunder is 45% fundraised. They set a $1.5 million goal as a reminder. They are currently at $683,000 raised. 28 days to go, so the clock is ticking down. If you want one of these phones, you should probably jump in soon because if they don't reach 100%, this thing's not going to get made. But if they do, you could get a really cool Linux-powered phone. Once again, as a reminder, an actual working phone is $600, which is standard for a flagship phone. It is not actually overpriced. Might seem a little bit more than you normally purchase, but that's just because you're not getting it on a contract, which is going to lower your cell phone bill as well. If you don't want to spend a whole 600 bucks though, you can spend as little as $20 just backing the project if you do want it to succeed and you can buy it later once it's out and you've read reviews about it. You know, if you're in that boat where you're going to wait and wait and see, consider just doing the $20 one just to help this thing get off the ground. And it is pretty risk-free because once again, if they don't ship, then they're not charging people. 
And Softpedia also had an article about this if you want to read that. Once again, check out the links in the description. So an upside to GNOME is that they're going to be on phones soon. A downside is that they're really hard to work with when you're not making a phone. Lester Carballo, a GNOME extension developer, has recently announced that he is going to be discontinuing the GNOME global menu extension for the moment. Now the global menu extension is basically, it adds a global menu, just like Unity has, where if you've got file edit, that kind of menu system going on at the top of your screen, those things are going to show up at the top of your screen, like on macOS, not as part of the window like you would get on Windows. I think that global menus are a good thing to have. I don't know why GNOME would not like that to be in their project, given that most of the space on the top bar in GNOME is just wasted anyway normally, but you know, GNOME, GNOME doesn't care about functionality, they just care about looks, in my opinion. But Mr. Carbello says, quote, GNOME proved to me that they will continue making things that I disapprove of, and their current way to do things of GNOME is 180 degrees out of my personal interest as a user, making it impossible to continue using GNOME Shell as a desktop. Basically, this guy was trying to keep this plugin functional, and GNOME was just taking away piece after piece that he was relying on in the code. GNOME was just taking away code, and he wasn't able to replace it properly, because GNOME really doesn't give a crap about extension developers. People rely on extensions to use GNOME. I have yet to meet a GNOME user that is happy with GNOME without any extensions, but GNOME really does not give a crap about extension developers. It develops with no regard to them whatsoever. You can see what I'm talking about when you take a look at one of these several bug reports that were linked in this OMG Ubuntu article. This is a GNOME bug report. After an update, Mr. Carbello filed a bug saying that he couldn't use a certain function, and then the response from GNOME was, well, that function is only for us. You're not supposed to use that function. Now, I am not much of a developer at all, so I'm not saying that that function being used or not used by outsiders in particular is actually a good or bad thing or if it makes sense or not. I don't actually know. But just as an outsider looking in, the fact that GNOME says, oh, you're calling functions within GNOME, but you're not GNOME. You can't call those functions. You can't build menus because GNOME doesn't support menus. That was part of the issue here. This GNOME developer said, well, why would a module need to try and set a menu? Because it's a global menus extension. That's why it would need to make menus. Once again, GNOME does not care about actual how you use your desktop. They just care about looking nice and minimalistic. So if you are on GNOME and you were using the global menu extension, you can continue to use it. It will continue to work on Xorg. However, do not switch to Wayland because it's not going to work on Wayland until GNOME changes something or Mr. Cabello decides to try again. And that extension developer had another quote in here. I just try to help as far as I can, but it's like swimming against the flow of the river. There always comes a time when you get tired. So yeah, that is, that is what extensions on GNOME feel like swimming against the flow of the river straight from the mouth of an extension developer. And I do also have the actual announcement from that developer's GitHub page. If you don't want to read that, once again, it'll be in the description. Powering right along here, Linux 4.14 is under development and the current release candidate added some very core features. It introduced several new core memory management features, some device driver updates, and changes to documentation, architecture, file systems, networking, and more. Linus Torvalds is still in charge of kernel development, and he said he had a few criticisms over the processes as usual for developing the kernel, but he didn't blame it entirely on contributors. This is interesting. I just liked this quote. Uh, Linus Torvalds says, I hate it when I find issues during the merge window that I feel should have been noticed before the code made it to me. It happened a few times this release. 
I just got a kick out of that quote in particular. Uh, but this new kernel version will have support for address space identifiers, AMD memory encryption support, and support for Intel's five-level paging, which increases the addressable memory from 206 terabytes to 128 petabytes. I don't know who was breaking that limit, 256 terabytes. I don't have that much RAM in my computer, but you can have even more in yours now, and this is mainly for x86 supercomputers, according to Pharonix. And Linus Torvalds says there were over 1,500 contributors to this release. 1.5 thousand people helped with this version of Linux. That is pretty cool. And finally, we talked about the Blueborn Bluetooth security issue a couple weeks back, or maybe it was just last week. Well, during the week, Canonical released kernel updates for all of its supported Ubuntu Linux releases patching the issue. So the Blueborn vulnerability appears to affect all supported Ubuntu versions. This update is available for 64-bit and 32-bit PCs, as well as a variety of other devices. And Canonical wrote in their announcement that the Blueborn bug could cause a denial-of-service system crash. So that sounds like Ubuntu was one of the less affected distros, because as a quick reminder, some distributions, depending on how your kernel was built, depending on the build time flags, some distros were actually allowing remote code execution through this vulnerability. Some were only being crashed via denial of service. So it sounds like Ubuntu was already one of the lesser affected ones in the first place. But if you're using Ubuntu, definitely apply this patch and then you won't have to worry about that tire vulnerability anymore. So that's great. And that is all of our news this week. This show was a lot quicker than most of our shows because I, you know, don't have to banter back and forth with someone. I had someone comment on last week's episode that I don't pay attention to the other person talking enough. I just think that these shows can get rather long and I think that it's a lot easier and more fun to watch shorter shows. Once again, deviating from the entire point of when I started this show, but we have gone down that path at this point. We're a news-only show now. So let me know what you thought of this one-person episode of rolling release would you watch this kind of thing again do i need to add background music is it should we just make videos covering one story at a time or do you like the normal format better let me know down in the comments section below on nerdonthestreet.com or on third-party video sharing websites whatever you're watching this on for now though that's everything i've got so i'm jacob kaufman with nerd on the street and i'll see you guys later bye <laughs>